Ministers are always receiving books. I've been given self-help books that folks said would improve me, political books that were supposed to make me more woke, classics I somehow missed. A congregant actually once gave me War and Peace and about a week later asked when we could get together and discuss its various meanings. <laughs> I kid you not. But this book was a little different. It had been gifted to me by my son-in-law, The Age of Atheists, by British author, journalist, and historian Peter Watson. It's basically an intellectual history of the Western world for the last 140 years, since 1882. That was the year the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche published a popular book, Thus Spake Zarathustra, in which a madman runs wildly into town screaming, God is dead. He goes on to add, we have killed him. This was not the first time Nietzsche had issued a divine death warrant, but Zarathustra's tense popular style attracted lots of attention. There was at that time, many other cultural influences, modern biblical criticism, the theory of evolution among the strongest. But somehow, 1882 was the turning point. Belief in God, the literally interpreted God of the Jewish and Christian scriptures, had been declining for centuries, and for some, had never made sense. But following Zarathustra, openly declaring one's disbelief became socially acceptable. Making sense of life, on the other hand, finding one's existential bearings with some joie de vivre and opportunities for meaningful endeavor continued to attract human attention as it always had. God or no God, people are hardwired to make sense of life. Peter Watson's book outlines the leading secular philosophic traditions of the last 140 years since disbelief started being respectable and over the decades more and more publicly shared. Now, Dan Siskind, my scientifically trained son-in-law, is himself kind of an atheist. So was my humanities-trained mentor in liberal ministry, Paul Sawyer. But just as there are many kinds of believers, there are many, many, many kinds of atheists. Paul Sawyer, my mentor in ministry, consulted the Chinese Book of Changes, or I Ching, every day, read the poets, he was himself a poet, maintained longstanding spiritual practices, and had a strong mystical streak. Paul told me that Frederick Spiegelberg, who taught world religions at Berkeley's Star King Seminary, and who's among those reviewed in Watson's book, that Spiegelberg taught Paul and a generation of UU ministers that if you did not visualize God with a human face, then you were an atheist. So there are a lot of kinds of atheists and a lot of kinds of atheism. 600 pages worth in Watson's book, focusing on about 100 serious Western culture makers, 
poets, artists, scientists, writers, psychologists, and philosophers, and also on who influenced which other leading, leading to various schools of thought, all of them celebrating life and offering deep meaning without recourse to a deity. Frederick Nietzsche was himself an atheist. He was not, however, without hope, nor was he a nihilist. His prescription for the world without God, in which he and all of us more or less find ourselves, was to live in a Dionysian grand style, seeking an intensity of daily experience so invigorating that you'd do it again and again with no misgivings. Sort of like the late rock and roll musician Jim Morrison of The Doors, or, it seems to me, Janis Joplin, living always on the edge, pushing the envelope. Some of Nietzsche's contemporaries agreed, becoming the modern-day Dionysians who gave birth to modern dance. At Ascanda, a picturesque village in the Italian Alps, a community sprang up in that very spirit. Rudolf Leben, Mary Wigman, and others, including the Californian Isadora Duncan, who succinctly spoke for them all when she explained her aim to forget the form and dance the reason why. D.H. Lawrence, Franz Kafka, Hermann Hesse, Carl Jung were all Escanda habitués. The curriculum was mostly kinesthetic, dance and movement-oriented, but also, and more intently, it was about finding the reason why and marshalling the courage to live that reason every day. For this was one of Friedrich Nietzsche's main points, the need in a godless universe to focus far less on content and more on expression, especially self-expression. And in the realm of self-expression, feelings are every bit as important as facts. Among the many other schools of atheistic thought reviewed by Peter Watson, one he pays a lot of attention to is phenomenology and, and the whole phenomenological approach. This is Rudolf Otto, Edmund Husserl, Martin Heidegger. Phenomenology is basically the understanding of life as inex inexhaustible experiences one after another and appreciating their individuality and concreteness. Kind of like poets do, you know, just to see the singularity of things, the suchness of everything and celebrate it. Another um, kind of school of atheistic thought kind of comes from psychology and the whole psychological approach. William James was a physician and a professor of psychology and later philosophy at Harvard in the late 19th and early 20th century. He was the founder, in a way, of pragmatism, which is a kind of uh, secular equivalent of faith in God. Pragmatism is faith in the human community and its evolving institutions uh, as James wrote in 
varieties of, res, of religious experience. Here's, he's an atheist, but listen to this. Our normal waking consciousness is but one special type of consciousness. Whilst all about it, parted from it by the filmiest of screens, lie potential forms of consciousness entirely different. We may go through life without suspecting their existence, but apply the requisite stimulus, and at a touch, they are there in all their completeness, different types of mentality, which probably somewhere have their field of application and adaptation. No account of the universe in its totality can be final, which leaves these other forms of consciousness quite disregarded. How to regard them is the question, for they are so discontinuous with ordinary consciousness. They may determine attitudes, though they cannot furnish formulas, and open a region they, for which they failed to provide a map. At any rate, they forbid our premature closing of accounts with reality. Peter Watson repeatedly suggests that for most people, psychology has replaced religion as the key to understand what's happening in our lives. And he goes 80 pages about Freud, Carl Jung, Otto Rank, Victor Adler. Carl Jung's psychology bloomed into a fully developed mystical understanding of human identity. But there are some kinds of atheism that have little to do with dance or art or inner mystical connection of any kind. Author Watson writes at length on the Bolshevik crusade for scientific atheism under the leadership of comrade Stalin and carried out by his ruthless apparatchiks. Far more chilling, the atheistic Nazi religion of blood. Reading these chapters, I kept thinking that sophisticated Westerners may have grown used to the idea of a godless universe, but the Stalinists and Nazis clearly believed in a loveless universe as well, what atheism in its starkest form may ultimately devolve into. In the wake of World War II and with the awareness following that war of the horrible atrocities it had unleashed, belief in God was further eroded. As Nobel Prize winning author Eli Wiesel put it, my God died when I got off the train at Auschwitz. Wiesel's faith did not completely die, however. Like the big biblical patriarch Jacob, he wrestled the long night through and for the rest of his life. And throughout those 60 years, his ideas about life, the cosmos, and about God continued to evolve. It was about this time that the philosophy of existentialism emerged, espoused most prominently by the French writers Anton de Saint-Oxpery, Albert Camus, and Jean-Paul Sartre. Be responsible, wrote the existentialist. Enjoy the warmth you managed to create. Essentially, be an artist in your own life. Another atheistic development is well known and lived through by many Unitarians here on the West Coast. In the mid-60s, Cal State professor Theodore Rosak, Rorsak, wrote The Making of a Counterculture, in which he outlined three key elements in then-contemporary popular culture here in America. 
new techniques in therapy, humanistic psychology with Abraham Maslow, Viktor Frankos, logotherapy, Eric Fromm, humanist of the year in one of the 60s years for the publishing of The Art of Loving, Rollo May, Carl Rogers, Virginia Satir, all these new therapies that were not just sitting on a couch and and just rattling on in front of a silent, essentially, therapist, but much more engaging. And drugs became also a means to search for alternative consciousness. You know, Ken Kesey, Tim Leary, and all that. And music, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Jim Morrison, Janice, and so on. Watson goes into modern art a lot. Impressionism's ways of helping us recognize everyone's unique viewpoint. And later, abstract expressionism's focus on how a work of art makes us feel. Over the last 15 to 20 years, we've heard a lot from evolutionary biologists, Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, and Sam Harris. Their use of combative language can be off-putting, but it comes out of the sincere belief that the theory of evolution is the big idea of our time and people, and those who miss its significance are missing everything. So they come off as evangelists for Charles Darwin. I've been given books by all three of these authors, and you know, they're okay, they really are, but one wishes Dennett and Harris, Dawkins is far better at this, would read the phenomenologists and put as much energy into understanding their approach as they want everyone else to put into understanding science. It's also interesting to me how each of these brilliant scientists finds all kinds of meaning in science and repeatedly expresses their awe at the sublimity they see everywhere. But hey, they're scientists. Scientists love science, just like English majors love poets like William Butler Yeats, Rainier Maria Rilke, and Virginia Woolf. All of them atheists, according to the Age of Atheists author, Peter Watson. So there is much there's so much that one can say about this subject. We have no time this morning to do more than scratch the surface. So much has happened, and so much has been learned in the last 140 years. It's worth noting that while all these budding ideas have emerged regarding our godless universe and how people fit into it, ideas about life without God, ideas about God, have also been changing, in some cases, very radically. Modern theologians have, for instance, suggested that God may not be omniscient after all, or all-powerful, or always wholly good, or wholly perfect, or always paying attention. Theirs is not the God of Billy Graham, that's for sure. But it was the God of my favorite seminary professor, Bernard Bernie Loomer, a process theologian, who left the American Baptists for the Unitarian Universalists. Professor Loomer believed all the qualifying attributes of God that I just listed, the, uh, 
not omniscient, not all-powerful, not, and so on, but still considered himself a theist, even if process theology itself came ultimately and entirely out of the work of Alfred North Whitehead, another who, according to Watson, was a full-blown atheist. My main point this morning is not to convince anyone to become an atheist or abandon that stance. My point is that among Unitarian Universalists, it's less important what you believe than that you keep wrestling with these ideas and keep trying to refine your thinking. Unlike the Orthodox of every other tradition, we ask that you risk confessing your faith to each other. That means that first, you must risk finding it. This is the search of one's lifetime. Integrally and courageously wrestling God, or whatever you currently think might be God, to the ground and telling us in the morning who won. I'm not propounding, how you say that, propounding atheism. I am asking you to abandon easy, blind beliefs and dare to discover your own questions. That is, admittedly, a lot to ask. And it's only the ante. But what, but that's what, in a way, that's exactly what you're signing up for when you become a Unitarian Universalist. So, what do you believe? How does the concept of deity fit into your worldview? I intend to lead an adult program this spring on ritual in our lives to help people frame these questions and come up with more coherent understandings of what they believe and what they don't believe. Classes like this help each person who enrolls to their own self-expressive poetic take on it all and to be able to express it fairly coherently, God or no God. Integrative coherence or none at all. As Unitarians, we are challenged to build our own theology, to come to our own individual way of putting things together, but guided by the liberal beacons that have been touchstones of our faith for hundreds of years. Beauty, wisdom, and truth, care and sensitivity, love and camaraderie. Whatever your current understanding of deity, let us recommit to these values and to these touchstones of loving, wholesome communities. So may it be. Amen. Shalom.